If we show emotion, we're called dramatic. If we want to play against men, we're nuts. And if we dream of equal opportunity, delusional. When we stand for something, we're unhinged. It's super, it's gonna beat the cop down. When we're too good, there's something wrong with us. And if we get angry, we're hysterical, irrational, or just being crazy. But a woman running a marathon was crazy. Officials tried to pull her off the course. A woman boxing was crazy. A woman dunking, crazy. Coaching an NBA team, crazy. A woman competing in a hijab, changing her sport, landing a double cork 1080, or winning 23 grand slams, having a baby, and then coming back for more. Crazy, 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 and crazy. So if they want to call you crazy, fine. Show them what crazy can do. Welcome back to I'm Not Therapist. I'm your host, Liora, and this is a show where we discuss what is on my mind that you are too scared to talk about. A general disclaimer before we begin this episode, there will be mentions of sexual assault, sexual harassment, as well as mental and eating disorders. If you feel uncomfortable at any point whatsoever, you are encouraged to pause and come back when you are ready, or to leave this episode completely. If you or a loved one are suffering or have suffered in the past from these experiences, please feel free to reach out and get help, because there is always a way forward, and you are not alone. Welcome. In case you can't tell, I did singing lessons for two years. <sighs> Welcome to today's episode. So we will be discussing love, or more specifically, my experiences, observations and perceptions with love, as well as the societal attitudes and issues with love itself. Now, due to the vastness of this episode, it is almost impossible to discuss everything that I'm going to be talking about in the introduction, but be aware that there is a variety of issues that will be spoken about later on. So, when I was five, we'd play a game called the Kissy Game, which, for those of you who are blissfully unaware or have suppressed the memory, which same here, my friend, it was basically tagged with kisses, which I guess is a very simple definition, but it had a few ground rules. The main idea, besides being a game of kisses, was that it was a crossover, at least for me, between capture the flag and tag. Few ground rules. Firstly, no lipsies. You could only touch around or kiss, not touch. Sorry that wasn't allowed. Forgot I was five. Um, kiss around the facial area, so the nose, the cheek, and the forehead. But it was by no means a kiss, more of a peck, and that meant that you tagged them as it. Second rule was that the girls had an entire jungle gym, hence almost no man's land, where, thank gosh, because I was severely, and still am, severely living on one lun, gave me a bit of an upper hand on the boys, but it was where the boys couldn't touch us, because obviously the boys were stronger and faster than us, which everyone is grown up to believe at the time. Then the third rule was that the loser was the person who got tagged the most or the person who was tagged first. It really depended on whether you were a girl or boy and what you defined as losing. 
So that really gave me a thrill and I am and was by no means an adrenaline junkie coming from the person at the time who was still watching Teletubbies, Winnie the Pooh and Barney. Um, so at the time as well, I was my love, I would say directly more towards my family and I was very much not thinking of boys as a romance or romantic sense. I was an ideal woman, otherwise in modern terms I should say, I was the epitome of gaslight gatekeep girl boss. I was pushy, I got what I wanted, in a way as a bit conniving, but in my defence, who isn't at that age? Probably a lot of people, but I'm going to skip to the next part. And that is that I always wasn't afraid to say what I wanted. So in many situations when the boys were playing Ben 10, I would feign a damsel in distress, getting their attention away from the emotional dialogue about Gramps leaving on to save me. It was a win-win scenario because they thought that they were saving me, but I was really directing it around myself. So I was pretty manipulative, I could say, but again, guess I can keep girl boss. And the whole archetype that I fitted into at the time was very much... um what I would say a turnover of the stereotypes that boys will pick on girls to get their attention or love because in grade two there was a new boy who moved to the school. Now previously in nursery school I had had a relationship with someone very cutesy, my feet couldn't touch the floor, I'd just swim them everywhere and my twin sister never refrained from telling me how he'd push people out the way on the swings so that I wouldn't get hurt. But we ended up ending up because he moved schools. Anyways, when I was in grade 2, there was this boy that moved and I really liked him. So, as anyone would, I began to physically harass him. And in a very subtle way, drew massive pictures of us as zebras in the sunset and forced everyone to see so that eventually he would notice it was us. Well, I draw our initials on top of the sun. So, you know, we all have our own ways of showing love. But if it was 12 years more than that, he would probably have filed a restraining order against me. Which is by no means a good thing. But at the time, he was either too scared to love me or he was too in love to be scared of me. But we ended up dating. Now, if you are a YA novelist or romance novelist, do not take my idea. I will be charging interest. It is very much enemies to lovers. So we dated for that entire year. I had my sort of first kiss with him and it was romantic. (sighs) repeat the situation of him moving schools and I moved schools and the amount of times I moved schools is a separate discussion on its own but he's living a good life and I'm very happy for him. So I began at the time to engage in a simultaneous timeline so eventually after moving a bunch of times I ended up in a religious girls school and it was only girls hence the name girls school but I wasn't really thinking about boys because I live in an all-girls family and I don't have any other experiences besides those two relationships that were so fleeting. I don't know if I could count them. So at the time, while this was happening, I was sort of shifting in what I was watching. So I started, obviously, as I said, watching Disney, very much um, classics, uh, Cinderella, Cinderella 2, Cinderella 3, I'm still devastated they haven't released four, but it was mainly Cinderella in case you can't tell. And I would watch it religiously, I knew all the lines, knew the songs and would often pretend to scrub the kitchen floor when it was spotless. It was a weird situation. But I would also watch Disney Channel and the original movies weren't entirely sexual or romantic. It was like zapped, so only one I can remember at the moment. 
Um, and it was all about friends, girl next door, all of that sort of trope. And as I began to grow up and older, and I stopped watching the whole damsel in distress, I uh, began to learn that in order to be loved, it was really good then to be submissive, which is by no means true. And I finally realized that pretty recently. But again, we'll get to that later. So when I was about 11, I got an iPod for my birthday and I began to move into more mature audience on YouTube. That meant Lele Pons, Thatcher Joe, Casper Lee, Lily Sin and other sort of creators such as Jenna Marbles, etc. Who often swore and especially with Lele Pons and her community had many sexual innuendos in their videos. And I am by no means saying that I'm entirely against it, but I do think that for a 12 to 13 year old, it is very confusing. So obviously I didn't necessarily get the whole clickbait idea, but I would watch them a lot. And as I began watching them, I would turn the volume down whenever they swore. I would get a massive fraud because in my family we were told that shut up was a swear word and we should rather say shut the door. When I was in grade 3 I had made up my own swear words such as flipping frumpets and shooting nickels. So take it as you will. So I turned the volume down whenever my mum walked past and just generally because I was so shocked. But as I became more used to this sort of, I don't know, it's a weird thing to sort of explain, but I became more assimilated into that culture. And I uh, began to become more obsessed with these YouTubers. Now, in 2015, One Direction was coming to my country and I had no idea what their music was about, but immediately my sisters and I fell in love. We googled everything about them fear of spoons to actually get in a shirt with Nell Horan's face on it and kissing him goodnight before we fell asleep. There were also many altercations about who Nell was going to marry, but fair to say, none of them ended up being real. So as that was happening, we began, or at least me, to let out their obsessive, possessive side. I had previously had crushes on Taylor Lautner from Sharpway Nova Girl, Heath Ledger, and, you know, the generic that people still have crushes on now. But that One Direction was a massive watershed moment for me because that began to make my sort of crushes more sexual and romantic. So I didn't even end up seeing One Direction because I had homework. Thank you, Mum, for that. But I sort of dwindled off of it anyways. And I went to the point where my sister sprayed silly spray. Um, oh, it was sour spray on my One Direction poster under all their armpits. So again, we were massive fans and then we sort of just decided no. But that shed sent me off like very much into the realm of obsession. There are many snaps on my old account of me casually saying... I'm stalking Tom Holland and tagging him. Fair to say he never actually saw the picture, but it's really weird to look back on them now. I also took photos of Nolan Gold, who plays Luke in Modern Family, with filters and put hot, cute, and would try and convince all my sisters that he was really good looking, which seems to be a theme as we go on because he was pretty average, but I really liked him, so I'm not going to negate myself there. But as time went on, this sort of obsession became more prominent within my class of all girls and it was sort of a normal thing but we weren't really allowed to look at boys. Now if I am leaving anything out I would probably come back to it later so fear not myself. I am back. My twin sister just came in to borrow a comb. She actually said are you still recording and indeed I am. But as I was saying 
fear not, future me, if I leave anything out, I'll probably come to it later on. Now, around the time of when I was 13, we got a talk at school um, in grade six, and it was a prepubescent sort of experience. It was a week called preteen week. We got a lot of speakers and activities that would introduce us into adolescence. One of the first, or at least most memorable things for me, was getting a talk from one of the speakers about boys. And fair to say, I had never thought this way in my life, but we were told that boys are very clueless, which makes sense. I mean, that that part is true. However, if we dress a certain way, you can see where this is going. If we dress a certain way, then it gives boys their own intentions and sort of thoughts, which makes them dress a certain way, which I don't know why they said that, which means that they will come on to us and it's our fault for leading them on. So I was first introduced into misogyny when I was 13 or 12 in a way, because my birthday's in December, I'm just going to say I was 12. And it's a pretty young age to be introduced into that sort of world, because I had previously gotten a period talk and birds and bees talk when I was younger, because my mom was a psychologist and she didn't really want me to be unaware or to learn about this at school for the first time. So I was very knowledgeable and I thank her for that because saved my life. And I really began to see myself in that way after the talk. So I began to say, I laugh now because my attitude in fashion was nothing. It was really disturbing. I wouldn't wear shirts unless I had a picture on it. And I'd often wear shirts that had really weird quotes like, be a butterfly, dream on, live, love, love. But fair to say, I began dressing a lot more modestly in a sense. Pencil skirts, long sleeve shirts that were often too big for me, excuse me there, and sort of clothing which I would never be caught dead in now. So I really saw my body as this hyper-awareness and I wasn't really self-conscious, but I began to get an idea of what that was as we often got talks about anxiety and about body sort of image at that time. So as I began to get older, I would be exposed a lot more to the real world, which (laughs) includes instances of my 11-year-old sister being catcalled, and my first thought being, am I not pretty enough? Which, what is that? That is something that I cannot even explain now, because I still don't have a grasp on it. But I had had those experiences before, so I had a pretty warped understanding, but I still hold on to that naivety that perhaps love was like it was when I was younger. And everything sort of changed when I was 15. I had moved to the co-ed school that I'm at, um, or rather finished at now, and I was around boys a lot, so I started to develop my sexuality a lot more, dressing sort of hypersexual, but again, in no means was it a very, it was not sexual at all, and I look back at photos of me in the school magazine, wearing my sister's red thread-up shirt with the strings undone, unaware that there's a piece of material underneath because my two crushes out of the 70 people in my grade were in my group. The things I did for boys. So I had very much began to become, I wouldn't say hypersexual, but pretty sexual at that point, like dressing certain ways, but it wasn't really suggestive. Now, this is a very hard thing to talk about, which is this next situation. So again, if you heard the beginning of my podcast, if you feel uncomfortable in any way, you can leave and come back when you're ready or just leave and allow yourself time to recover and to heal. 
so basically at that time when I was 15 I had scoliosis from when I was 12 well obviously from when I was a lot younger but I started to get it dealt with when I was 12 I had a back brace which (laughs) gave me a whole lot of body issues but I faced them head on up until recently but I mean it was one of the catalysts I should say but this experience was what really triggered me is I had a brace sort of so weird to say brace maker it was like a prosthetist I cannot say the word to save my life but it was someone who did prosthetics and helped me with my brace to adjust it as I grew in proportion and in heart so when I was 15 I went to an appointment and something that I was not expecting was for a 50 year old man just actually harass me some of the things um, he did was that sad note which at the time is an important notice is that I had long hair because I was very much into every two years cutting my hair and donating it to cancer but I wanted to grow it out so it was very long and one of the things that he did is said to me 15 year old you need to tie your hair up so if you don't I will cut it off and then even weirder he had an entire container of bubbles or elastic bands to tie up girls hair (sighs) And he said that I'd have to tie it up. So I did it really hesitantly. And I mean, that was one of the least disturbing things that happened that visit. But I cannot even begin to say how it made me feel. The minute the appointment finished, I went into the bathroom, sobbing, called my mother. And I think what happened is I have a tendency to exaggerate things, but I could never make that up because some of the weirdest things went down in that appointment. And I'd say some appointments after that. But that basically taught me that love was only about my body and that love was not lacking myself. So I directed all of that hate inwards and I began to fall into a major depressive state as well as hypersexualize myself. And by hypersexualize, I mean actually hypersexualize. So that was one of like, I'd say the roughest periods of my life in terms of self-love, love in general, because I was very spiteful and things happened three months after I was sexually harassed, which by the way was borderline sexual assault, but I cannot define it that way due to the professional in no means capacity, but boundaries that were blurred and the way in which I cannot exactly determine what was inappropriate and what wasn't. But I had a sort of sex talk um, by this drug awareness and sexual activities campaign, if you know what I'm talking about. The ones where they like travel people who go around schools and give them don't have sex, don't have sex before marriage, um, don't do drugs and that sort of talk. And after we had split up into groups at the end, they said to us, if you have anything that you want to say, we are free to talk. So I started debating should I say anything? And I was like, I'm doing it for attention, but kudos to me because I eventually went ahead with it. (sighs) I'm not sure what got into their brains or if there was anything period in their brains, but that didn't go down so well. There were three people. I don't remember the other two, but there was specifically, as you'll see, a man. And By no means am I saying that men don't go through the same experiences, but this is what I was told by people who were literally no less than eight years older than me and who are part of an organization that was encouraging people to be safe and to report any instances. So, again, take it with a pinch of salt. 
so I go back to the back of the hall where there are three people waiting for me and I am very scared but I say listen I think I was sexually harassed three months ago and then I began to say that it was very much blurred because I couldn't tell what was and what wasn't and they were like are you sure and I was used to that by then so I was like yeah I'm pretty sure like I'm just un- I'm just unsure of like if there were certain inappropriate things or if I'm like fabricating it like I was very much sure but in a way unsure so anyways uh, <laughs> I wish that I could make up the next sentence I am no way paraphrasing it but this is what came out of the person's mouth We have people who are getting raped. We have people who are in extraordinary circumstances that are basically near giving birth, death, who knows. So come back when you're raped or something happens or when you actually realize what happened and anything continues. So they said, if you're really worried, we'll contact your school counselor. I immediately was like panicking. Either she didn't get the notification or she didn't just talk to me about it because nothing ended up happening. Now, by the time people started to believe me, it was already too late because there was no ways I could take it to court. And by the time I actually realized what had happened, it was already about three years afterwards. So there was no ways of me sort of coming out of this perfectly clean. So I was pretty scathed by the experience. And again, that really warped my understanding of love. Now, the thing is that with TikTok being introduced as something very popular when I was about 17, and the whole Visco era um, with the songs that should be played on Valentine's but were played throughout the whole year, I began to infest, or I should say manifest, I assume, my um, intentions into the fact that I wanted a relationship with someone else. And they would complete me and we'd be soulmates. And um, I'm a hopeless romantic, but that was um, off of the trajectory of what I actually believe. But... Nonetheless, I began to become obsessed with boys I'd never met in my life, and I began, thanks, I think, to Lele Pons and all of those people, which again, I'm not trying to blame them, but as I said, they sort of sent me into a bit of a spiral. I began to message people on the internet. Now, it wasn't solely because of those people, they were played a very, very minor role in it. I think that one of the major things that happened was that after I was sexually harassed, I didn't have a lot or many platforms to really talk about it openly because I felt like I was just going to get demeaned and sort of insulted in a way. And also, I'm trying to wrap my brain for why I even started messaging people online. Oh, my twin sister got a pen pal. They're still in contact now, but I really went off the rails putting my information on Instagram. I was the opposite of just everything that you teach children about internet safety. And I started to Snapchat people and I got my first unsolicited picture when I was 14. But it was a very bad experience. And that phase was my... um, (laughs) I was really trying to be someone I wasn't. I was trying to hypersexualize myself and just trauma dump. Which is something I feel really bad saying and I completely get why I did it. But that era I was much loved, I should say, archetype of distraught damsel in distress with many, many issues. And as I began to message more people, I began to fall into the trap that is online dating and I dated some people for a day. I cannot even say dated, okay? Because I cannot even look back on that without thinking, what did I do? 
but that very much shaped who I have become because I have become more solely responsible for my actions. But that whole period was a result of being sexually harassed, as well as, we had to say, the whole fact that my twin sister got a pen pal. But I have met amazing people through the experience, and I know some of them are listening to it, my episode now. So hello, and thanks for listening. Um, but when that period was over, I sort of moved from that archetype of, I'm so in distress and I need help, into a more submissive, gentle um, it was a very much, I say, calm period of my life when I was about 16 until I was about 17. It was a very tranquil, very relaxed, as well as it was COVID and I was isolated most of the time. So it wasn't like I had much to do. I just played Roblox and I made whipped coffee. So, you know, I wasn't really into that sort of thing. When I was 17, I started to become infatuated with that idea, even more so than I was before, of being in a relationship. Now, my my friend who's going to listen to this, hello, um, (laughs) we are still friends, but we dated for a little bit, and I think that I, I feel like I was very much in love with that idea of dating and not with the person, which I feel so bad for, because it's so especially in the society, which I'll get more into, but it was so pushed that at that age I should date because I saw it everywhere. TikTok, I saw it on Instagram, I saw it on YouTube. And as couples started to break up and people were going out of love, I decided to prove them wrong and find the perfect relationship, which doesn't really exist. So anyways, when I was 17, we ended up breaking up after a month um, and a few other instances that happened to me, but I was pretty much very confident, but in a very mm, passive way, which sounds like an oxymoron, but I was very confident in my abilities, but I didn't really project it in a controlling way. So I just behaved to boys like my classmates, uh, had crushes, couldn't look them in the eye, but it was a pretty calm time otherwise. Then this year, so a lot of things happened to me this year. My grandfather passed away and I had, uh, as you would have known in my other episode, many physical ailments. Ailments? That was the right word. So I sort of was very busy with love and love for me went off of my hobbies, which I was very much encouraged to do from grade eight by my teacher at the head of writing and poetry club and more onto my work. My love became academics, and academics became my arch nemesis. So it was a love-hate relationship, and the teachers I began to see loved me for my marks. There was a few teachers who were really kind to me until one of my final exams, where they said they were disappointed in me, and I still feel like I love them too much. Anna is another thing of love that I ended up developing was attachment to teachers. Now, when I say this, it's in a means of trying to explain why, but also I don't really regret it. Like, honestly, I'm glad that I did. But it's just worse to have to write goodbye cards when you are sobbing and your tears are staining the paper. But I have specifically become attached to my history teacher and my two English teachers and formed very different connections with other teachers. So I was very much 
based a lot of the subject off of who taught it, which makes a lot of sense. So my subjects that I ended up doing well in, the teachers were very encouraging. The subjects that I didn't do well in, they were nice teachers. Um, but just generally, I didn't like the subject. So that whole academic era lasted about six months until I burnt myself out and my grandfather died and things just spiralled into absolute terror. So at that moment, I began directing it to more self-love, which again, you can listen to in my previous podcast, but the self-love really made me realise how much I had disregarded my own essence and my soul and my morale that I had developed for people that didn't like me and there are many instances of me asking boys out just for the fun of it or sake of it and one of them was my crush that I asked out ended up ignoring me for two years it wasn't the best situation one of the situations happened when I did French lessons in grade eight if this person ever listens to my podcast Ha! <laughs> so it's kind of awkward, but hello. So I did French lessons in grade eight, and I was getting the cues that they liked me. So I asked them out, and it was disgusting. I don't know why I did it because it was a message at two a.m. when they were on holiday, and I messaged them, getting geographically confused with where they were, and then using it as an excuse to ask them out. Don't know how those two things are linked, but I managed to do it. They said they weren't ready for a relationship. We ended up sort of losing contact on and off until. Uh, went with him to my dance and that was when I realized that I had a very severely warped perception of what love was because the minute that someone directed sort of kind attention towards me I would blank out and develop a persona I would go back to how I was when I was younger the gaslight gatekeep girl boss personality would immediately come out at one point I found out that my date had worked at an ambulance service so I faked a panic attack so that he would sit with me there's something I'm not very, very proud of, but it was something that I felt like I had to do. So after that experience, which I can't remember most of it because I was so removed and dissociative that I cannot even look at photos without being confused as if that happened. And it did. And my sisters will always remind me or keep reminding me that a lot of what I did was just vilify him and he did a lot of nasty things as well. So... Like, it was a very confusing situation for me because all of these experiences that I had my whole life had sort of developed into or to this point. And the whole societal attitudes towards love, especially love and self-love, has been so warped over the years as well. I was very underweight growing up and in a way people sort of strive to look like me, but I was allowed extra ice cream after supper and I had to clean my plate, which I completely get because I was literally 28 kilograms and I was in grade four. So I was always until I was about 17, I was underweight. And then at one point the doctor said to me, listen, if you're going to have second helpings, rather have like a salad and not spaghetti which sent me into a bit of a spiral and I lost 10 kilograms which is due to other factors as well but I would not say that I had an eating disorder but I did have disordered eating and still do suffer from that and that whole warped body image is something that I've also had to develop or I don't know go through my entire life but I just I wish that I could say that it was society, most of it's myself, because I have a lot of high expectations being 
previously underweight and a lot of the times being called petite and a model and getting a lot of compliments from strangers most of the time that I should aspire to be this way which is not good because if I'm being completely honest a lot of the times I feel like I'm going to pass out and I can see my rubs pretty clearly Um, and there's a lot of other things such as a lot of the time when I eat food it tastes like paste and not like food but I have started to develop a more healthy eating pattern after a lot of my therapist's advice and sort of realizing that I was putting myself into a dangerous situation but it really led me to think why did it have to come to that what is so wrong with loving the way that you were born and loving who you are Now, I understand that this is quite a long podcast episode, but there is so much to talk about and I didn't want to do two parts. So this next part that I'm going to be talking about deals more with what led up to my body issues and that sort of era of my life. So I have a lot of scars and I don't mean that in the cliched way. Um, I mean, I think we all have a bit of mental scarring. Um, but when I mean scars, I don't mean it in the childhood memories, I followed it a tree way, although I use that as an excuse a lot of the time, and I don't mean that as in I spit in bad dog or I fell down the stairs, I mean that as in open heart surgery. So I had quite a few um, surgeries, I've uh, had my aorta, part of my aorta taken out, so I had quite a few scars and growing up it was very hard for me to love myself, especially because my scars were very, very visible. So I'd often wear t-shirts that would cover them because I'd get death stares as a six-year-old, which isn't very comfortable. Now the more I grew up, the more that people noticed them and at one point I used to, to make friends. That's a gross idea because I'm not even in contact with these people anymore. But fair to say, I became more sheltered. And when I would show them, even if it wasn't by choice, people would always ask me, and I didn't like the sympathy. I didn't like people putting me on a pedestal or demeaning me and patronising me. So I would sort of just stop focusing too much on it. When people would ask, I'd use really stupid excuses, um, which makes sense that I have a totally symmetrical straight line down my chest from falling out of a tree, as I said before. But people would leave me alone afterwards. But the hate of my scars sort of became more of a love. And I think something that's kind of disturbing is that I remember a teacher saying to me when I was in grade one, don't worry, it will fade. And I just, the way that I've just laughed and sorry, ignore that. But I was six. So I don't understand. I would sort of pray that it would go away. And picture myself without scars. And I don't just have scars on my chest and shoulder blade. I also have on my stomach and in other places. So a lot of the time it was unavoidable, especially when I was swimming. So that whole thing really propelled me into my body perception. And um, again, as I said, being underweight is a whole separate thing. But I began to finally sort of love my scars in a way. And by doing poetry and really helped me embrace what had happened to me. So that was going okay. And then I started to see the sort of like, I don't know, perception of bodies as having to be a certain way. And by no means am I saying it in a cliche, but in I was very much pushed and forced. All over on Instagram, I would see models with flat stomachs, perfectly clean chests with no scars on them and stomachs that didn't have blotches 
of scars and I was very jealous and I would rub my scar very very hard until it was red when I was younger and it's something that's very much scarred me excuse the pun because it was a thing that I wish that I could have skipped but the more I grew up and the more that I saw these ideal perceptions of people the more that I began to change myself I have never really been a fan of makeup but I once wore makeup to a valedictory and I wore bright red lipstick did not look good on me but I did it because I wanted to get noticed and again that links to the fact that I want to get noticed for my body and not for myself which is something that has really grown with me since I've gotten older because now I'm 18 and I can't touch people and again that has a lot to do with what happened to me when I was younger but also to do with my many experiences that I've had with sexual harassment and assault so I was very unsure of myself and in a way I still am with love and I think that's a very hard thing to see love as this ideology that you should strive for when you're not sort of looking within yourself I mean it's all good to say that one can love someone very deeply but in order to love someone deeply you have to do the same for oneself so I started to put self-care over my academics over the thoughts that I had and I really tried to you know do journaling and it's been a really really hard process to detach myself from what I believed that I was and from who I actually am and I'm sure that there are a lot of other things that have happened that have really shaped how I viewed love but I think that I've always the sad thing is um, in the end is that my parents have always shown me what love actually is but because of everything that's happened to me I have just gotten such a warped understanding that often when I was younger I would do things such as show my love by spraying my sister in the eyes with toilet cleaner and sending her to the emergency room which is something I'm not proud of but I was on alert and hyper aware and I had PTSD which again was exacerbated with my experiences so I was not given the best end of the stick I should say but I've really made the most of it now for you who are listening and you come to this point ha, welcome thank you for listening to this part so far so um if I could give any advice from my experiences I would say a few things one is trust your gut instinct a lot of the time people will suppress their instinct because they feel like it is wrong I wish that I had trusted my instinct more and spoken out about what had happened before it was too late secondly with sexual harassment which is a topic I'm going to speak about because I did want to speak about it in previous episodes but I feel like it's very appropriate to do it now sexual harassment is in by by no means any less serious than assault yes it is very different but the only difference really is that often it is by words by sort of quips and inappropriate touching but assault is more inappropriate touching without consent and it's often like grouping and things like that and ah felt that I was less than because I was harassed and not assaulted and it's something really stupid to say but it's something that I felt and the thing is that in society it's almost this competition or oppression olympics a bit and I'm literally the biggest feminist uh that sounds really bad to say in this context but I began to develop more my sisters say I'm very hippie I began to develop a hippie attitude after that because I had to rely more on myself 
But the thing with sexual harassment is that it's very, very serious, and one should not just shake it off, as Taylor Swift said. You should take it seriously, because many cases, sexual harassment can lead to rape or assault. So it is very important that if you feel uncomfortable, you report it and make sure that it isn't just thrown on the other's shoulder. So I would say that the third thing is that if people are disregarding your experiences, then they are not people that you should trust. Because if you rely on people that keep negating what you have experienced, you're going to turn it in within yourself. And there's something that I can say very, very confidently because I was told by many people that <laughs> I was asking for it or if not that, which I guess wasn't as much, I had developed this perception from society that it was an honour to be harassed because that meant I was pretty. <sighs> that is wrong in so many dimensions and I could unpack that for another two hours, but if you know what I'm talking about, then it's a pretty easy rule. Um, the third or fourth thing that I would say um, is that love is entirely what you define it as. If you Google love, or come up with some wacky definition. But Shakespeare thought that the liver was the organ of love, now it's the heart. So it's completely um, a changing and shifting aspect and ideology. And that means that you can control what you believe it is, and you can allow life to sort of guard you, whether that is through horrible experiences or through really good relationships. Don't base your relationship on being too attached or being completely reliant on the person that you're in love with because being in love with someone means that you allow it to be a two-way street and you regard your own feelings as much as you regard theirs and that goes to say for humans in general but again I'm very much focusing on oneself because what I have gone through is something that I never wish on my worst enemy but I've learned a lot from it and I have been so so grateful for the people in my life who have shown me what love is like my family and my friends and many teachers and sometimes academics and hobbies and sometimes people who I dated and maybe you know we still got friends but I've really learned a lot about what love is so when I was doing this podcast, I was kind of reluctant to talk about many of the things that I have discussed, but I would say that I'm pretty glad that I did. So if you have come this way or this far in the episode, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe and remember what Pink said. We are not broken, just bent. We'll learn to love again. Stay safe, stay kind, and thanks for listening. Right from the start, you were a thief, you stole my heart. And I, your willing victim I let you see the parts of me that weren't all that pretty And with every touch you fix them Now you've been talking in your sleep